So as far as esports, I've always been interested in the development and the changes in the esports world just because I always thought that competitive gaming was something that could eventually lead into more of a community than even just your standard gaming community. And it was interesting when I saw a lot of the different communities pop up and you had leagues and teams and stuff playing. I mean, imagine going from playing against your friend in an arcade or in your home to now playing for money and now you see it on ESPN and things like that. And now with the changes happening now, it's it's really crazy. And I mean, I'm just a novice, and that's why you know we're bringing in people here who can you know school us and hopefully give you guys some great information about what's going on in esports with the changes that have been occurring, even just recently, even though we just entered 2016. So we're happy to have once again on our show. Uh, he's you know is a six-time Guinness World Record holder, CEO and founder of Empire Arcadia, esports architect and consultant. Consultant Triforce Johnson, thanks for coming on again with us. No problem. Thanks for having me back on, guys. It's great to have yeah. you. Yeah, man. So we're also, of course, joined by Ignacio, president of Obsolete Gamer, and Joshua. Thanks, guys. Yep. Hey, guys. Good to be here. <laughs> so it's it's really interesting because just seeing like all the changes that's been happening. You know, I, I, of course, you know, I've just seen things and hoped, and I said, man, it'd be great if in the future you know, uh, this kind of gaming, this kind of competition would blow up. And when I see things on ESPN and things like that, it's like, wow. However, it's like I could never imagine that it, it would blow up like that. But then when I read, you know, what people have said in the past, like what they think is going to happen, either on the negative side or the positive side, it's kind of interesting how some people thought that competitive gaming would never blow up and then other people thought that, hey, you know, this is going to be really important. And that brings me to you, Triforce. We'll get straight into this by talking about the statement that you made a couple of years ago on another podcast about the changes that would be coming in esports. Uh, you said that in 2016, you know, like the suits, the million dollars, billion dollars guys would come up and they'd buy up all the esports entities and industrialize the scene. And then, as we've seen years later, 74% of ESL sold for $86 million to M uh, MTGX. We saw 100% of MLG just sold to Activision Blizzard for $46 million. 100% of DreamHack for $28 million to, M uh, to MTGX. And 80% of World Gaming for $10 million to Cineplex. Alpha, Jack, uh, Alpha Draft for t uh, 10 to 20 million, a fan duel, and a couple of others. Not to mention Rick Fox and Mark Cuban recent purchase of esports teams. I mean, what I want to know is with all these changes, with all these purchases, I mean, how could you have seen that this was going to happen? Well, um, so you have a lot of people who sit there and say, uh, you know, Triforce is uh, a profit or anything. And let's just dispel the foolishness right there. It has nothing to do with any type of prophecy or, or being able to foresee the future. This is literally just how industry development works. Um, <clears throat> when esports started back in the 80s, no one really, it wasn't an industry. You have to understand, it was a business that was starting. Over the years, it developed, and the platform matured over time, and it started to develop in an industry. If I could give it a time when the industry, uh, like, really had its wheels, you know, all four wheels on, rather than, you know, being a bike with training wheels, I would have to say around 2009. It was at that time that you could see when the other companies 
outside of gaming started to really take a look at what's going on inside of gaming from a competitive standpoint and say to themselves, hmm, I wonder what this can develop in. Then they put in their five to um, ten year R&D, which is a research and development aspect of it. And when I really took the time to sit down and look at that, especially because I went, I had gone to the GameStop National Championships. This was the first time a, a corporate retail, the largest corporate retail for gaming, stepped into the competitive gaming scene in tandem with one of the largest gaming publishers at the time, Capcom, and then the gaming community, the competitive gaming community. So here you have three different entities from three different aspects of gaming all working together to push something um, competitive. Movies were developed. In fact, Empire Arcadia's um, our joystick that came out that time by Canva, which was created internationally by a Chinese company. Um, and so many things started to happen. And it made me really just um, think, are these guys watching this now? Because before, you know, it, it always existed, but was anyone watching then? It could be argued that eh, some people took interest to it, but no one really said, let's put the R&D into it. But at 2009, that's when I said, I think these guys are starting to watch now, and they're going to do their R&D on this right now. So I, I really gave it a five-year mark. I said, you know something? By 2015, 2016, we'll determine whether or not these guys are going to make a move. Then in 2012, that's when um, I had my conversation with Nintendo. 2013, when I got my first hint at the Nintendo World Championships. That's when I was on the other podcast, and I was like, these guys will be here in three years. <laughs> like, best, best believe, these guys have been watching this since 2009, so by 2016, the Billion Dollar Boys should have all, by that time, I, I literally said that, by that time, by 2016, these guys should have bought out every major esports company on the planet, and then they're going to start their esports industrial revolution. And um, lo and behold, literally, like clockwork, that's exactly what happened. And you have to really kind of look at this, you know, like for what it is. A lot of people looking at all this money being spent. In the grand scheme of things, and, and I don't want people to take this out of context. I don't want them to look at like, well, you know, you say it's not a lot of money. But in reality, based on the business, in terms of what they're going to get back, it isn't a lot of money that these guys have bought these companies for. MLG has poured in at least four or five times. Well, okay, that's a little bit exact. It has poured in a lot more than what it's getting right now for the buyout. That much I can say. It's a lot of these other companies in terms of their worth. These companies that are purchasing these esports platforms are purchasing them at pennies on the dollar. You will not be able to realize it now. Ten years from now, you're going to be like, what? This is madness. They really sold for $48 million, blah, 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 whatever the case may be. But it's like any industry. They let the community or the people who are the philanthropists, the, the entrepreneurs, go down into the ground, up into the, the underground, and spend all the money. So when you look at a company like MLG that's being bought out for $46 million, and you think to yourself, that's a lot of money. Years from now, you have to you have to think about how the companies are looking at the action of the, uh, these esports companies and what the return on the investment is. If they're spending forty six million dollars for a one time buy, they have to now determine when are they going to make that forty six million dollars back. And if you compare it to the NBA and how much money the NBA makes a year as a league 
46 million dollars is nothing. They're paying players 46 million dollars for a several year contracts. And we're not talking about, we're talking about the merchandising, concessions, uh, commercial rights, intellectual properties, videos, all of those things add into what the NBA, the NFL, the Major League Baseball, all of that's what's making. Video games, unlike sports, has a larger, and I'm talking about a larger asset pool in terms of making money than any other sport on the planet. So that $46 million will be made in the next five years, probably shorter, who knows. So this, this is nothing compared to what these guys have truly spent um, on in terms of um, giving uh, these different companies. They haven't spent any real money. So to them, it's a steal. Um, if they had waited 10 more years to where eSports, as, uh, from its community standpoint, would have developed to where these guys are going to take it out on their own, then you would see these guys are going to want half a, you know, um, uh, um, four or five hundred million dollars or half a billion dollars for their particular esports leagues um, in respective to whoever, whatever it is. But a lot of these guys who develop this are, for the most part, are well entrenched into the gamer community and culture. So this is a lot of money for them. You really have to take that into consideration. Look at all the owners. These guys started as gamers playing games, whether they're casual or hardcore. And for them to get 46, for Sundance to step down for $46 million when this Halo out of his you know, garage with his friends and stuff like that from where he lived in New York, this is a dream come true. $46 million? Are you kidding me? And he already put down a, a um, almost 15-year blueprint in esports. He's good. He's good to go, so he's not really worried about that. Uh, not that he gets the entire forty-six million. Obviously, there are other people who get in on the action as well. But his investment was well worth it. So, when you really look at that, the purchase for what these guys did versus, um, you know, there's no ceiling for the entry amount of people that gets into ga the gaming. There are audiences, both virtual and physical. This is pennies on the dollar, man, and it was it, it was it was bound to happen, and it happened just like clockwork. Just yeah, like I, I'm interested about that, about what you said specifically about how they view it as a lot of money, and it, and it kind of makes me think about different aspects of uh, something when someone's trying to get into something. Like if you're trying to get into the entertainment industry, and you know that you have to start out at a low level. So many people know that that's that route. So it's like, okay, we're going to pay you this amount, and you have to take it because everyone has to follow this same template. And I think about how even how gaming is viewed. Sometimes when you see people talk about esports, you have people from the gaming community who love games who will attack gamers and say, oh, how dare you pay, you know, waste your time playing games or uh, why don't you get a real job. There seems to be this anger and angst. So it just makes me feel like the people who do compete are more likely to take less money because they don't really get full support from their own community, so they'll end up getting taken advantage of and don't have that root, that uh, worth that an athlete who knows that their skill is appreciated can go up and say, hey, I want more than this a little bit amount that you're offering me. Yeah, also, have you noticed that almost all these companies got bought up very quickly, very close to each other time-wise? That's, that's interesting. It's interesting, but not surprising. No, no, of course. Not at all. It's almost like a, like a market crash equivalent, you know? 
like, actually, I would call it like the great buyout of esports, really, because yeah. now it's it's just going to be a bunch of figureheads that own uh, that own teams, uh, affiliations, and networks. It's pretty much going to become like a millionaires' club. Yeah, yeah. So like sports teams, like regular sports teams. Overall, you know, what did you think about the idea that these gamers, you know, may end up not knowing their worth and not getting the money that they deserve because they don't even have the backing of their own community and they don't even have that that thing that an athlete would have to ask for more money. Well, um, unfortunately, there. This is the ter- This is the most terrible um, thing that could have happened. But it is not that. The, the, the community, did this, they knew. They knew this was coming. Whether they wanted to listen um, to the warnings, the writings on the wall, but no, no union was created, which is unfortunate. No players union, no team union, nothing was created. So and these unions will be made, but these unions, something cataclysmic has to happen first between the players and the new owners, the figurehead owners for these new leagues. Something's going to happen there first before people walk in with unions. But um, And then it's going to get to a point where we're going to come back to this video and it's like, you know, Triforce warned us about this as well. Um, the governments are going to have to step in because they're going to want their cut, obviously. Um, there's gonna, there's, it's going to get to a legal standpoint which has to regulate what's going on in esports because the new companies that are getting involved they're they're putting their claim down now you have to look at what they're doing right now they, they're not stupid they're making the preparation for what's going to happen in the future the gamers do not have a leg to stand on the only gamers that have a leg to stand on are the ones that joined up with teams that have built um, a history because it's the history that's the only thing that's going to be able to help them. There's no unions. There's no nothing for them. So if they're a player at the um, the level, let's use Fatality, for example. Fatality has built his own brand. His brand can now survive in this new esports ecosystem that's coming up in the revolution. A lot of these are players that are standalone players who have done great things, but they have not marketed it as a brand. It's just a uh, a highlight in the history of esports. These guys are going to have the hardest time ever trying to adjust in this new um, uh, post. Uh, well, at the time it will be the post post esports industrial revolution. They're going to have a very difficult time because the way the new ecosystem is going to be built, it is not going to be built. For, the, for those who have paved the way. It's going to be built for the new age gamers, the guys who, who feel that this is an opportunity for them to get in um, that they would have never gotten in in the old age because they would have to fight against legends. And they, they would have to do that on the battlefield, the virtual battlefield. It's going to be very difficult for them to be able to compete. Now you're going to have companies going to say, hey, listen, guys, uh, we'll cover your. Um, they've been doing this in the community, so ex- imagine this on now on an industrial scale, where guys are only going to be getting paid minimum wage, like if you would get a real a regular job, right? Yeah. Covering their hotel, covering their entry fee, and that's it. And they're going to have to happen. And you can can you imagine, right? Let's look at this from a, a, a labor standpoint. Companies are not hiring. Potential 
um, competitors who can compete at the highest level because the games are being dumbed down now. If you look at Street Fighter V, it's being dumbed down so everyone can play. Super so dumb. you have a lot of five for a dollar gamers who can be at the level of a top tier gamer, working for minimum wage, creating content for their um, their bosses, going to these video game tournaments, having their ways paid for them, versus the professional who has already established themselves, but they're too old to market, right? They don't have any um, brand legacy to stand on. They're going to be told, hey, listen, we're in a different age, different time. Uh, it, uh, that was great what you won 10 years ago, um, but this is a new age. You're going to have to reprove that again. But they're going to have to reprove that again in a new age with new games. It's not like they have to reprove that playing the old games. They're going to have to do that in the new games, where the guys that who are getting, who are taking the, <laughs> and have no problem with doing it, can beat these legends, who are not willing to take the peanuts for it. So how they're going to be able to transition is going to be very, very, very difficult. And there is, like I said about the unions, there's no unions that's going to come and tell any of the legends, hey, do this and do that. The legends are going to have to find their own way. That's what's going to have to happen. They're going to have to find their own way. Um, people who hop from team to team to team is going to be con disre disregarded unless they pull off some miracle and they're able to win something major in the modern age, and then they uh, wisely step out of the game and try to find a way, you know, supporting esports from um, from a, a, a different point of view rather than competing. These are going to be some of the huge obstacles the uh, the, um, the the uh, the professional gamers of then are going to be able to survive. And and in my opinion. It's uh, it's going to be uh, uh, I don't want to use you know it's going to be a holocaust. A lot of those guys are going to just be wiped off the face of the earth, and it's just going to be replaced. Um, I saw a podcast on Facebook talking about gamers who are who are talking about um, why are so many Smash Brothers players quitting because they cannot they cannot convert into the new age. That is the problem. The games are being simplified. More people can get into it. More people can the learning curve is far easier. Secret tips and tactics that was kept to each arm um, to, to professional players for years on end so they can be dominated is a simple click on Google and YouTube. So the entire platform has completely changed, and the players unfortunately have no way, very little way. Let's not say say no way, very it's little way. Yeah, there's no edge anymore, no advantage. The only advantage you have is whatever you've developed with whoever you developed with or whatever brand you've set up for yourself um, years ago, and that brand has to be strong enough to withstand the time, and it's going to need credential backing by some big company that's relevant and working with the industry currently right now. And when you think about that, let me, let me put this question to you guys. How many gamers do you know have those credentials? Very few. Yeah. Very, very few. And thus the the Holocaust begins. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm really curious because, like, it's 
whenever you see people coming in, especially from outside of gaming, you know, and start making all these changes and buying up things that you know that something really big's coming, and the next thing you know, it's going to be talked about, you know, on mainstream news as if they just discovered it, even though this has been going on for a long time. But obviously, Triforce, with all the uh, the experience that you have in the development of esports industry community. I mean, what do you think is going to be the next move for, like, these people, these suits who are just coming in with all their money, like the Mark Cubans, you know, the Rick Foxes buying up esports teams and doing all this? Well, um, you, the next move for these guys is, is, is um, the, the, the esports industrial revolution shouldn't take long. This should be, this should be a very quick um, transition for these guys. Um, we're talking about two, three years tops. 2018, everything should be set in place in terms of a whole new industrial platform to be worked on. I think, I, in my opinion, I think the end of 2018, everything should be set right before the turn of the decade. Um, think of it like this. Remember, yeah. you, when you look at the NBA or you look at the NFL, the, the, these, um, and, um, these aspects, even baseball, they were fractured at one point in time. You had the ABA, the NBA. You had the, um, you know, the, the NFL. So for the NFL, you had the AFC and the NFC. And the same thing for baseball. Um, when they came together, it was relatively quick for the the um, the, um, the revolution for those particular to go off into the stratosphere. For video games, I think it's going to be even quicker because everything is digital. This is this is not like shuffling. This is not like shuffling um, physical players. Everything is virtual. And unlike sports, sports was far more back then before their revolutions happened versus esports. Esports is relatively still disorganized in some aspects. Not all, but in some aspects. In this revolution with the buyouts, these companies are now going to set in place the actual rules and the guidelines they want that's going to revolutionize everything very quickly. And people, the amount of money that's going to be handed out for gaming, if you look at this pool in 2014, almost $40 million in prizes went out to almost 2,000 different um, tournaments. Doubling tournaments happened uh, in the year and 10 times more the amount of money. So can you imagine with these guys coming out now um, with the amount of tournaments that are going to be in 2016, 2017, 2018? We're talking about $100 million in cash and prizes in 2016, $200 million in 2017, $300 million in 2018. There will be no arguments. The, the, the gamers and the teams are going to conform willingly because about that amount of money going out. And that amount of money going out is peanuts. Yep. Peanuts. Yeah. It's nothing compared to what happens in the in actual sports and, and traditional athletic sports in what they have to pay out to convert or, you know, industrial rather quick. And, um, and for these guys, they don't have a problem you know, getting uh, everything together. You have video game companies literally buying their own intellectual property out from a competitive standpoint. Not that they need to. They don't really need to do this. But they're doing this because for legal purposes, they want to ironclad, lock, and seal 
everything up. It's, it's no different from what Nintendo did with YouTube a couple years ago when they, they locked up everything for YouTube. And it, I wouldn't say it's behind anyone's back. They just they did it pretty much in the open, but no one really cared or not that anyone could do anything about it. But now, if, if, if you even make a Mario coin, bling, on YouTube, it's it's already stricken. You can't make any money off of it. Nintendo wants a cut. <laughs> yeah, and the same with music too. If you do it's, use any video game music now, unless it's like super remixed, they want their cut. Uh, exactly. Um, so you can imagine that's what they're pretty much doing right now. Blizzard and Activision um, has MLG. These guys have StarCraft. These guys have Call of Duty. Um, like. Okay, so here's an example, right? Okay, so who, who runs um, Call of... Who's actually the developer and the owner for Call of Duty at this moment? Because I know it's changed hands a couple of times, and I don't really follow it up in that regard. But Treyarch doesn't run Call of Duty anymore, does it? I think it rotates. It, ro it rotates? Okay. But let's look at Blizzard, for example. Let's look at MLG. So with MLG, I had a discussion with my friend Arthur Hill, um, Blood Red, uh, he's a member of EMP, and he said that um, with the acquisition, um, him and my other friend Jimmy, with the acquisition of um, MLG, the game compositions will change. And I said, and and in fact, they probably will change for the better. Not that League of Legends is a bad game, but when you think about it, Blizzard can replace League of Legends with Heroes of the Storm. Yeah. Then you have StarCraft that's already there. Then you have Call of Duty that's already there. There's no reason to remove Smash Brothers because it's it's not like Blizzard or Activision has a game that is a conflict of interest um, to yeah. that game. And then they can add in their own particular games. Nintendo, as I had mentioned before in many different podcasts about Nintendo coming back with the World Championships, Nintendo can just create their own league and that's it. And they may outsource third party to another video game company such as Activision and Blizzard that now owns MLG. But if you really look at it, these got these video game companies are coming for their intellectual property so that years from now when people start to complain, they're going to be like, listen, we own the competitive rights for this. We own our own intellectual property in terms of art, di digital or virtual, whatever you want to call it, or, or you know, on pad and paper, music, everything. They own Everything, every single thing is owned, and if you want to participate in the uh, in the future of esports, you are going to have to conform to the rules and the regulations that they set down. Um, not that it won't be fair. We will time will tell whether or not it, things are going to be fair. If these guys are going to muscle down everything on everyone, but even if they do decide to muscle in everyone in the gaming community, eventually that's where we'll talk about where the legal steps in. The um the United States government's going to step in because they're the ones big enough, or each country or region's government will step in, and all they're going to do is regulate because the video game company is going to look at the governments and say, okay, look, look, look. We understand you want to get involved. How much taxes are you taxing us? That much? Okay, here. Now, can you please shut up and let us do what we have to do? And the government's going to say, yeah. And these guys are going to go right back to what it is. So either way, the gamers lose. Um, and that's the next step within the next 10 to 15 years altogether. But in, in eSports, I think it's going to be a lot faster. So um, pretty much a lot of people are going to say that, you know, here's Triforce once again talking stuff, talking about things. He has no idea what he's talking about. But... They said that, you know, about me three, four years ago when I told them that the Billion Dollar Boys are going to come 
buy up the esports companies, pennies at the dollar. It's industrial revolution. So another five years from now, they're going to be like, oh, Triforce was right. I it's very simple. This is this. It's not rocket science. It's not genius. Look at how sports is developed. It is the copy way that they're doing it to esports. There's nothing different. I'm not making this up. I'm just like, hey, is this how basketball started? It's not how baseball started. It's like how every sport starts. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing because it's like they if these people are coming in from the outside and not really that much from within gaming, then of course they're going to go with what they know and that's probably what they're uh, attaching it to is how you see Major League Sports is done. Pretty much. And the only thing different now is that um, the sports prior in sports, prior to it being industrialized, no one owned any intellectual property. They had to industrialize it and then create an intellectual property. It is worse in esports. The, in, the, um, the intellectual properties, which is the games, are actually owned by actual companies. So the, these companies have the, they have the strongest leg to stand on because it, it, it's theirs. So now once, once they legally position themselves in the competitive aspect as a service, it's a wrap. These guys are going to have to sell out. There's no way they're going to be able to fight it. The only, the only people that are going to survive this are the esports teams, because the teams is a brand that was created out of uh, forging together players and then branding the players and then do that is what they create as intellectual properties. The brand, the player brand, and then the team brand. Those will survive. But as individual standalones, people who think they can go about this on their own, uh-uh, not no more. Those days have officially ended July, January 1st, 2016. If you are not a part of a team, you are finished. Or, well, you have a small window. Find a team quickly. <laughs> well, Get also, uh, think about this. If you, because uh, basically think about this. All games, basically, it's software. So just imagine how many, how big those contracts <laughs> when you install the game are gonna get now. Oh <laughs> man! Have all these clauses like, oh, if you're streaming, well, you have to pay us a little bit of this, or you know. The... But then see, look, look at this, look at this. Who own, who owns a streaming company um, now? Twitch, Twitch was created by Justin TV, which is a bunch of guys that play video games and want to stream their games. Now the gamers don't own it. MLG was created by gamers. Sundance and Sepso are gamers. They don't own it. DreamHack, same thing. They don't own it. None of the gamers own any of it anymore. They sold it. They literally gave it away. But see, that's the thing I'm curious about. I mean, like, you know, hmm. talking about the community aspect of it and also about knowing your worth. You have all these different gamers who, like I said, there still seems to be that disconnect. It's like if you want to be an actor or something like that, sure, you may have people say to you, oh, it's hard or maybe you should consider doing something else. But even if you're trying, for the most part, people will just accept that. Same thing with being an athlete. They may say, oh, you're a little old or you need more skills, but they'll respect that. In gaming, you still have even gamers saying, Oh, I'm I've reached this age now. I'm quitting. Gaming is stupid. Gaming is addictive. And these are people who still love games, but there seems to be that cutoff point where they still want to say, "Oh, I don't want to do that anymore. It's for children." So they 
hurt the industry where athletes bond together, actors bond together. So the problem is, is how can a gamer really know their worth and know what to demand or even what moves to make when in gaming your own community is still not going to fully back you? because they still look at it as a kid's game or sometimes they get ashamed, especially as you reach like your 30s. You don't want to really call yourself a gamer well, anymore. You want to push um, away. To okay. be honest with you, the gamers, uh, the gamers who become disenfranchised with the esports because of the change of the industry, not, uh, this is not my opinion. This is just what it is. They will have absolutely no effect on anything because money talks. Everyone can talk crap about video games all they want. When the populace starts to see people are pe kids are making more money than new car that Nate Shot just bought. I don't even know what type of car that is. The doors go up. They don't even open normally. They go up. When you have a gamer buying cars like that, and then you have a regular nine to five job who wants to sit here and say this is for children. The, re <laughs> the reality is you are out of touch with today's re reality. That is what the reality is. So they can say whatever they want. Um, when their wives are found in the car with yeah. these gamers and they're like, I, they don't get it, <laughs> <laughs> then they're going to start to understand that, listen, the age has changed. You are no longer a part of the age. So it doesn't matter what they want to yeah. say. No it's, one cares. It's them laughing. Uh, it would be like them laughing at somebody uh, being a sports player. It's like, you're going to make money playing uh, football? It's <laughs> Are you like, kidding me? It's no different from when Dr. Dre's mother was uh, um, saying, telling him that you're wasting your time with music, blah, 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 and look at Dre now. Yeah. yeah, that's that's exactly what it is. And now, and and back then, rap music, NWA, which was thought to be a waste of time, and these guys were unconstructive, unproductive people in society. And and look what they have generated in terms of wealth for themselves, and what have contributed to the music industry, good or bad, it doesn't matter. The point is, the bottom line is, it, it generates money, a lot of money, a lot of money. Long story short, a lot of people are going to ridicule. Uh, um, the, the the gamers and mothers are going to tell their kids that, that you know they need to stop doing this. But at the end of the day, they're going to be fanning the money in their face while these people are talking. And then eventually, those people are going to have to conform. Already, mothers are conforming. Oh, my kids can win this. Do you know what Sonic's Fox mother thinks about Sonic Fox playing video games? Sonic Fox has made more money than his mother has, perhaps in the last five years in this year in 2015 alone. She's saying, hey, listen, if this is something he's doing professionally that he likes and he's making money from this and he can put himself through college and buy me a nice house and blah, blah, I am 100% supporting him. That's exactly what his mother's <laughs> saying. So, you know, people who are arguing are going to be saying this. Listen, it is a different age now. They're making video game movies. They're making video game documentaries. They're making video game merchandising. People are making money off of it professionally. You're streaming. This is the way to go. There is no if, ands, or buts about it. You have former sport coaches and players buying esports teams. 
So do you think at this point now you just end up with a, a small group or maybe it's a, a larger group of people who are just, I mean, for lack of a better word, haters? Because, I mean, when you look at the community, you still just have people that don't want to accept the gamers. And it may not, it's not even coming from, like, moms or society. It seems like almost society, like you said, is more apt to, to, a, to accepting gamers and professional gamers by what you see on ESPN and things like that, like you said in the movies but gamers itself doesn't really fully embrace them. Like, you have so many gamers who seem to hate any esports people and even say, oh, it's not an athlete, and do these stupid discussions of athletes versus esports. So as far as the community itself, what's going to be the future for them when a person can't even really stand up and say, hey, listen, I want my community to back me when maybe a good a chunk of that community isn't going to back you? Well, it, it, that's them gutting themselves. Uh, the community, uh, because the gamers didn't really stick together to back each other, it ultimately guts them out. Uh, as for the gamers who don't support the whole esports thing because they don't think gamers are athletes, um, they're right. Gamers aren't athletes. Esports is esports was a moniker created for us to um, describe what competitive gaming was. Competitive gaming is no longer the word used. It's the meaning to esports. Esports was just a catchphrase that we use. What does esports mean? Competitive gaming. What is competitive gaming? Esports. That's that's what it is. Um, because we couldn't say, hey, create competitive video game tournaments back 10, 15 years ago because companies would look and laugh at us. Excuse me? So we came up with that name. You can sell that name. You can sell the concept of the, the name esports. You can't sell competitive gaming. Competitive game is just the meaning to it. Um, so there are no athletes. Um, these are competitive gamers. That's what they are. Athletes require you to do something physical. So unless you're talking about games like Just Dance or anything involving the Nintendo Wii uh, motion or whatever, I guess you can say that. But anything you can do there, you would actually do in an actual sport. So that's kind of redundant. It doesn't make any sense. You just go in. It's like they're making a basketball game for the Wii U, and you want to play basketball professionally with the Wii U dribbling on a a a, um, a Wii remote. Um, why don't you just go and play basketball? <laughs> so uh, in that regard, like no, that's that doesn't make any sense. But they are right. They are. They're, we are not athletes. We are um, electronic competitors. Or, or they created this term a while back, cyber athletes, uh, yeah. if you want to use that, whatever you want to use. But those are, those are topics that are really, they're really insignificant to talk about in the grand scheme of things. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't change anything. The point is, is that it, the industry exists. Esports exists. It has always existed for many years now, 30-plus years it has existed, regardless of whether the gamers... Uh, want to support it or not, like the casual gamers want to support the professional gamers, is inconsequential. They have no input on it. Millions of dollars are being spent on purchasing esport companies. That in itself shows the reality that esports exist. No one spends millions of dollars on something that does not exist. Yeah, Except and I'm really... I'm Hold curious. On, let me also, let sure. me tell him something. Um, also, think about games uh, that did their marketing really well, like League of Legends. If yes. you look at it, I mean, look at the name already, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's a League of Legends, right? But they give you the idea that, like, first of all, they gave away the game for free, and then on top of that, it's like 
hey, anybody can make it if you're skilled. But it's mm -hmm. like, that's what I think is, is one of the ways that they're going to monetize almost everything. They're going to be like, hey, you want to be like Fatality? You know, we'll give you the chance to be like Fatality. Everybody can be like him. And they're going to make everybody kind of believe that. So there's going to be like, you know, like millions of people that are going to get into it or they're going to try to get into competitive gaming. And then it's going to come down to pretty much um, the big earners. are. There's going to be a few of them. And it's going to be almost like, I guess, the show Spartacus where it's like, you know, here's Spartacus fighting the best other guy. So... I 100% agree. That, that's exactly what they're going to do. Um, and that's that, That's why guys like Fatality is going to be able to um, survive this um, this revolution. This would be kind of actually his second revolution that he's going through. The first revolution took place in the turn of the century, which, was, which wasn't really a revolution to, to mark down as an official one. This is an official one because a lot of money is being put on the line. I don't... I'm not a huge fan of money, and I, in my opinion, personally, I don't think money is uh, it means much. But in the reality, in this world, money means everything, and um, this revolution um, exists because the uh, the hunt. It's it's well over a hundred million dollars was spent on the acquisition of multiple esports organizations, uh, from Azuba Frost getting involved to Warhammer, MTG, and all these other different companies. These guys have spent well over a hundred million dollars. You don't spell um you don't spend over a hundred million. Ludicrous. So in terms of what these guys are going to be doing, a lot of you're going to see in 2016 a lot of different. Marketing campaigns, ad campaigns—they're all going to come down. It's just going to flood. It's going to flood, and a lot of money is going to be made on this because you have to understand the impressions this is going to give. This is going to upon so many gamers between the ages of 18 to 25. These guys are going to get hit. Spending the 18 to 25—they're going to do the most spending and everything. People 25 to 30 are going on 40. They're going to understand what this is from a business aspect, and they're going to be—they're going to—they're um, going to be very conservative when it comes to their spending in the esports, um, the new esports age. So they know what to buy and what not to waste their money on. But these kids—they're going to be like, "Oh man, I want to do this. Oh man, I want to do that." Our players are going to jump ship from team to team because the stronger your teams. Um, Legacy is the, the larger of a chance you have to survive. Um, the weaker your teams, a lot of these young upcoming teams that just started in the last year or so, these guys are not going to make it for the most part. Not all of them, but uh, most of them, they're not going to make it because it's just too late. Um, the only teams that's going to make it that are going to be new are ones that are going to be created by the people who have bought out these esports companies because they have the money to back it. They're going to open the doors for them into the commercial media that's going to be able to legitimize them and grant them a platform and an infrastructure to work on. But these community teams, no, nah, not happening. Well, that's that's the other thing that's happening now. Um, with Rick Fox and Mark Cuban both buying those two teams, um, the, the poaching of actual spots for League of Legends, like LCS com competition, is actually going to be something to watch because you're going to start seeing these challenger teams competing for spots and it's going to be these community or player made teams that eventually just go hey let's just grind the challenger 
let's go ahead and take a let's go ahead and see if we can make it to the NALCS and then just sell the team spot to one of these millionaires for X amount of million of dollars. So eventually you'll start seeing community teams instead of being all about the game, they're just like, you know what, let's go make this quick uh I don't know, like Rick Fox spent I don't know, he's probably spent ten million on buying whatever team he bought. Is they're just gonna be like, let's sell this spot for ten mil and split it amongst, you know, the five of us. And that's, yes. that's yeah, gonna be uh, the norm. It is unfortunate that that's gonna that's that's what it's gonna turn into. Unfortunately, um, it's just a lot of guys really just um, acquiring teams, putting them in positions to be sold. Uh, but eventually, it that will straighten itself out. It will regulate itself after a certain point because the major thing is getting a team up to a certain point and then selling it. You still have to have a buyer. Yeah, and then a buyer. If a buyer is smart and wise, they're gonna know. That I'm not buying a team for no millions of dollars. I, I can go, I can spend less than that and build the very same team you just built and get them in the same position you just got. And even if they don't even get in the same position, they get top eight. It's the same thing for them in terms of advertising dollars. So that generally, it has a a natural equilibrium that will iron that out to get all those. Uh, I guess those are like the, uh, yeah, I forgot the word for them. The, uh, you know. Uh, venture capitalists, those guys. Um, not uh, some of them will get away with it, but for the most part, most of them will get caught, and they're going to lose a lot of money. And then a lot of people are not going to get into that. What what what's going to happen is now that these guys um, purchased ninety percent of the, the global esports infrastructure, uh, and they're going to start to revolutionize it. They're going to now look into the history. That's the next step. Um, I don't know if you guys knew, but uh, like they're Silent War in 2014-2015 about the history of esports. It's a really quiet war. No one knew about it. Um, and what they wanted to do was rewrite the history of esports to make it as if esports started in the, the turn of the century. And that's when it really, really started. For them, anyway. Uh, because here's one of the major issues. Um, <clears throat> if you He who writes the history, they own everything. If you write the book, you own everything. So yeah. uh, for them, they needed to kind of wash away what happened in the past because they don't want it to have any connection to the future. Fortunately, uh, myself and a, and a band of uh, other uh, gaming uh, luminaries and legends, along with the great Walter Day himself, we we kind of made sure that the history of esports was put in place for the people who are going to be working in the esports revolution, so you can't get rid of it. Um, thanks to movies, believe it or not, thanks to movies like The King of Kong, uh, thanks to organizations such as Guinness World Record, believe it or not, Guinness World Records um, definitely one of these people, and ESPN, the history has been secured. Uh, guys like Walter Day, Todd Rogers, Billy Mitchell, Joel West. I'm like, it was that was out there. There was a, an, an event called the Esports Commemoration that happened in 2015. Very important event that happened in 2015, which pretty much um, secured. It, we went over the history of esports and how esports evolved to what it is today. And um, it, I think it was, I think it was uh, critical that it happened because funny that that took place and then went over into the whole. Um, 
you know, esports um, industrial revolution that we're taking place now. But guys like Tim McVeigh, like I said um, earlier, Todd Rogers, Billy, Richie Knuckles, Walter Day himself, um, Joel West, and more were on hand. We gave a speech. Um, a plaque was enshrined that was backed by Guinness World Records and commissioned by a couple of um, other people, Steve Sanders, um, Eric Tesler, and more. The, uh, the gentleman from Namco, David Bishop, um, have pretty much ingrained the start going back into the early 80s with Twin Galaxies and Guinness World Records because those guys were the first organization to, to be put together to start adjudicating and you know, um, managing esports as an organization, literally filed as a company. A lot of people confuse that with, oh, well, there were other video game competitions before Twin Galaxies. And what they're not understanding is there were basketball games before the NBA, before there was even an NBA and the ABA. Um, people were playing basketball. But what we're talking about is the actual formation of an organization that was going to manage and organize competitive gaming. And no, there's no start other than Twin Galaxies in the early 80s, 1981, 82. Started with those guys, and then shortly after, those guys teamed up with Guinness World Records. The first video game world championships was broadcasted on ABCs. That's incredible. And they teamed up with those guys as, um, as well. And that's when esports really um, um, took off. You had many different players, great players before that, that happened. Um, the first professional ga gamer, Todd Rogers, um, he was on um, there, but there was no infrastructure set in place at that time um, during his play until Twin Galaxies come along. And an infrastructure to organize and manage esports from the statistician to the promotion of the, uh, the gamers to the promotions of the events, all those things. And, and they even got in, um, court, they got in concert and in tandem with uh, Guinness Book of World Records in 1983. Uh, to That's Incredible, which produced the first world championships to be broadcast on television. All of that was done. Um, we went down there. I gave a speech, um, an opening speech to give out the timeline for, the, uh, for how esports started. And I think that all of that was critical to what's going to happen now uh, in the esports um, industrial revolution because you had the commemoration in 2015 and now you have the industrial revolution in 2016. And you're going to see the literal handing of the torch from the old generation to the new generation in 2016. Guys like Fatality, guys like Todd Rogers, guys like um, Billy Mitchell are going to play as mentors to the new age of gamers today, much like how you have Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for basketball, Jim Brown for football, Yogi Bear, who has passed away for baseball, which were all great spokespersons and mentors uh, for the new age in their um, respective sports. These guys are going to play that role for the esports gamers today and, and, and for what they do. So it, everything is happening like clockwork. But I know you guys may not you know, believe this. You may think this is some type of conspiracy, but believe it or not, there, there is an actual think tank <laughs> that <laughs> happened for the last three years about how this is all going to go down from the industrial side down to the community side and to the guys with uh, Walter and company in the Twin Galaxies. We've actually sat down and said, this is going to come to pass. This is how it's going to work. This is how it's going to churn out and whatnot. And we made sure to put together a comprehensive campaign to make sure everything went down 
the way it was supposed to be, so that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, the history of esports wouldn't be rewritten, and the integrity of esports would be maintained, and then we can have a in a nice even transition moving into the new age that we're in today. I think that's vital for for anything, for any type of like sports organization, is to acknowledge the infancy that it had at the beginning and and the pioneers that started everything. Yeah, definitely yeah. nice to see. Yeah, it, it definitely that definitely has to happen because there was there was a as I mentioned earlier there was a there was a silent war going on, um, hints hints to a re a, a rewriting of the history. And um, and they wanted to make it as if this was something that started at the turn of the century, as I mentioned earlier. Nice. And um, we old school guys were like, "Nah, we're not having that." <laughs> and we had to fight the war from a um, from a logistical standpoint. It wasn't about crying and screaming on the top of our lungs, like, "No, this is not what it was." It was about proving. That's all that mattered. Evidence. No one wants to hear opinions. People want to see the evidence. And to be very honest with you, this credit has to go out to the Honorable um, Elder God himself, Walter Day. The, the work he has put in, Walter Day is a genius. Oh yeah, He, he foresaw all of this coming. Um, all of this coming. He saw, foresaw it. This is, this is the man that foresaw. He had the vision to foresee what he did for competitive gaming, bloom to what it is to, to, to this exact day. He saw that 30-something years ago, and you have to give you, you have to take your hat off to a man who had the vision to see that. You don't have a lot of people like that um, in this world, and you know I, I really admire him for that. And I try to model myself um, in the things I do for my esports team based on what he has done for Twin Galaxies. Speaking of your uh, esports team, what what is going to be the the future and what's going to be coming up in 2016 for Empire Arcadia? Because I know from most of 2015, you've been in Jamaica doing work down there, doing tournaments and stuff like that. Can you tell us that with all these changes, what's going to be coming next for EMP? Uh, well, uh, for EMP, uh, I, I I've been in Jamaica for the most part of 2015, but I've been back and forth going into I went to America like three different times. Um, I. I I had a friend down here, Rion Jefferson. He's a member of EMPs. Helped me out a lot. Um, in fact, if it wasn't for him, I would not have been able to do this campaign down by Cyberbox to come down and help set up an esports infrastructure for um, their business to create an esports league. Um, there was another league down here that was running at the same time um, called Clan Pro Circuit. That's owned by another set of individuals. I I was working with them in 2014 before. I um, I left um, and decided to go and work with Cyberbox. It was like a one-year project. Uh, for the most part, uh, we got everything out there. Like we literally got esports on the map, and and I don't mean just you know Cyberbox, like Clan Pro Circuit as well. We, um, both entities were able to literally uh, you know synchronize uh, the, the the infrastructure for esports in Jamaica. Um, with virtually no problems, um, not it wasn't all clean. Obviously, there was a, we had our little um, bickering and whatnot, but for the most part, we were able to complete the job. Uh, we posted um, about ten majors between both um, um, esports brands, um, uh, over a hundred different uh, uh, local tournaments. 
tournaments from Hearthstone to League of Legends, FIFA. We did everything, and then we got that everything um, through our uh, mainstream media, from newspaper to radio to television, mm-hmm. and to even cable. Um, everything was put on. And we had um, huge um, celebrities, dance hall sports celebrities um, down here, all supporting um, esports from Usain Bolt to Beanie Man, um, D'Angel, uh, Luton Shelton. These are all different types of uh, stars here from in music to um, sports. That's been supporting the video game um, thing. So with that done now, um, well, my contract is over now. Um, it ended prematurely. It ended in December. It was supposed to end in January. But um, Cyberbox has literally relocated, and they're downsizing uh, because Land Center, they went really big. And when they did the whole eSports thing, they and they see how eSports works now, they have to downsize, so it's going to be running on a smaller operation. But um, they don't need my services anymore. They, they pretty much got this in the bag. So um, I'm going to be doing something um, pretty big with Digicel, which is one of the um, companies here in the Caribbean, especially Jamaica. They're rivaling to Flow. I'm going to be doing something with them and setting up one more esports company, and then I'm going to be heading back to um, America in late February going on March because um, i got to get back in time for the, the great esports war. <laughs> you know, our, our team, um, we've been preparing while um, simultaneously while I was doing my thing down here in Jamaica for esports. I've been preparing our um, team at Pyre Acadia. What are some of the plans that you have for EMP in America, um, then? Yeah, it, well, it's actually EMP globally. Um, there's some things I'm going to be doing with um, our new sponsor, working with a new media company that I've just secured a working a relationship with, um, Mech Multimedia. So I definitely want to give a, uh, I'll put our, um, you know, working our so, uh, partners out there, uh, Mech Multimedia and um, No Scope. So we have some stuff that we're going to be doing, some big things that we're going to be doing with them in 2016. So you guys can stay tuned to that, and uh, definitely with. Uh, World Record. We definitely have some stuff we're going to be doing with Guinness World Record, along with obviously our standards, classic games with Twin Galaxies, and then obviously the big game for 2015 is going to be Street Fighter V. So we're going to be work. We're going to have, we have a lot of work to do. Uh, we've been our focus has changed in 2015. So we've been focusing internationally with the Caribbean, and kind of we uh, took a step back in the U.S. We have to do a lot of catching up now, and we're going to be working with these organizations. Um, Shout-outs to 8-Way Run, Jaxel, and KDZ. See you guys down in February, March. We're going to make some, um, we're going to make some big splashes for 2016. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on and sharing your experience with us, uh, especially on all these changes. Uh, I think that's just important that you know all gamers, even if you're not uh, particularly looking to get into esports competitive gaming, that you just understand the changes that are happened because one of the things that a lot of gamers talk about is having the option to ha- make this a career and I think that one of the best ways to do that besides of course having knowledge of the industry is also participating in it and helping those even if it's not something you're specifically in because now like you said people can go and make a living they can make money they can provide for their families within gaming which wasn't possible you know 30 40 50 years ago so I mean once again thanks for coming on and you know giving us this insight Oh, definitely, man. Um, I actually like you guys' podcast setup. Um, gives me a nice little platform to 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 
put some information out there for people who are interested in this type of stuff, especially um, the history of esports um, and, and where the industry is going. I think this is very important. Um, you know, for those who are haters and like and, and and lovers alike of EMP, listen, guys, uh, make sure you check out this podcast by Obsolete Gamer. A lot of information is out um, being put into this podcast. I, I came on this show solely to put, uh, to get this information out to you guys because it's something for you guys to think about moving forward. For those who have um, great ambitions into getting into esports. You, you need to understand the industry and how the industry works. You have to have some type of um, vision. You have to have some a, a, a realistic perception of what's going on in the in the business and the industry of esports if you're going to look to thrive. If you if you do not have this knowledge, it is going to be virtual for you to survive in this upcoming age, especially in the esports industrial revolution. You want to talk about professional? Notice I have not been cursing on this podcast (laughs) because I want this to be G-rated for everybody to absorb this information. You know, if you're you're a team, if you're a part of a team, start talking about this conversation, all the information that was given out in this podcast. Um, Start, you know, create your own mini think tanks for your team and start planning. You're going to need to plan. These suits are not playing games. We're playing games. But they are not playing games. These guys are about making their money, and yep. you cannot get mad at them for that being their focus. They spent over a hundred million dollars. They are not here to play games. It is now step your game up. They want to see what it's about because they've invested we twenty. Not not to get into a whole new topics, uh, but twenty years ago. We were complaining. Oh man, I wish these guys, these companies, would come in and spend millions of dollars and make this. Here it is. It is here now. So it's gonna. You're gonna really need to step it up. So I hope this information has been very uh, valuable for all of you guys, and um, and support the obsolete gamers. There's a subscribe button on their YouTube page. You guys should check them out. These guys get on a lot of great um, people and good content. So definitely support them. Yeah, and we appreciate that, and we also appreciate all the people who uh, watch our show, listen to the podcast, and of course, we also want to hear from you, you know, what's your thoughts on esports, the changing that's come, also the history, so I hope that you guys will leave comments uh, and let people know about the show, and you can also be just on Twitter at at Obsolete Gamer. So we love hearing from the fans, and of course, we love hearing from people who have a lot of information and knowledge in the industry, and that's why we're happy to have people like Triforce come on and talk with us. But for now, thanks again for listening to Obsolete Gamer Show. We'll be back with another episode very soon. But thanks again for listening.